0: started two and a half years ago it's located for those of you who don't know in the discovery district in downtown columbus and i am sitting here with with founder ceo what are their titles starter kenny sipes yeah so this is kenny sipes and two and a half years ago he started the roosevelt coffee house kenny um give us a little background first off can you believe now you you own and operate a coffee house isn't that crazy
1: not at all
0: yeah am i I on his mic isn't on There we go. Um, It's crazy, isn't it? So, share with us a little bit about, you know, how this started, how this whole idea of a coffee house kind of got placed on your heart and then what that looks like.
1: Um, I'm not as gifted as these guys, so I got myself a little bit of notepad, (laughs) just to make sure I don't miss that. Um, (laughs) It's fine. In a nutshell, I was a youth and college pastor at Dave McCreary's old church, so, um, at Jersey Baptist for about 10 years, and I led... Uh, many mission trips, uh, probably about 15 domestic mission trips to inner city areas, and then uh, a trip to Africa and two to Cambodia. And I saw firsthand uh, the, the things that, that Roosevelt now supports, um, saw poverty and in ways that um, they were really hard to comprehend. Um, I, u- I usually say that uh, my wife says that the man who went to Africa never returned, mm-hmm. um, just because it, it unsettled me in a way that I've never been the same since. And um, so we thought... Um, as we kind of progressed through this and tried to figure out what we wanted to do, we thought if we could create a coffee experience where everybody kind of goes, mobilize that to do um, incredible impact um, and kind of be a liaison for people who have a heart for justice and love coffee and be able to do what we're doing.
0: Yeah, that's really sweet. So you guys kind of care about specifically three things. Um, Tell us a little bit about what those three things are.
1: Yeah, so we we camped on three areas we felt everybody could agree on, and that is hunger, unclean water, and human trafficking. So we all felt like everybody could agree that nobody should starve to death, um, nobody should die of preventable waterborne diseases, and nobody should lack freedom. And so we've kind of used those, um, taken on those topic matters uh, to make a difference in people's lives. So we're, in a nutshell, what we're trying to do is make coffee to save lives.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. It says on your... um your website. We're in the business of great coffee and saving lives. So, you uh, you sell coffee and tell us about how that works. Part of the proceeds go to these three things. You have a ton of, you know, international partners and local that you guys, as the Roosevelt Coffee House, partner with. Talk us through that a little bit.
1: Yeah. So um, one thing I am not, I am actually not the owner since we are actually a nonprofit. So that kind of throws a lot of people off. But um, we are functioning as a private foundation that takes all of its profits to fund the areas of injustices that need to be fixed and so uh part of the two years of developing this before we opened the doors for me a lot of my research was spent on a couple things one was um who's doing long-term sustainability sustainability in those areas so that we would partner with people that weren't looking to create hero moments like dump a bag of, Food into a community and fly away and feel good about it, but actually do something um, that would have tangible, long-term specifics. And so, um, the other thing too is, I always say this. You know, I'm older than I'm, there's my age group is probably more in this service than the next one, right? Um, but our generation like would write a check to Red Cross for hundred dollars and feel fine with that. That was like we were helping that. Um, as I studied and researched, and, and I'm super close with lots of millennials, is that. They want specifics. So they, they want that dollar to actually, what is it doing? And so for us, that's where the power comes in, is that we we do tangible, specific things. Um, like we bought 12 mini greenhouses in um, Peru for families in need. Um, we we've able to fund the groceries for, and the whole living expenses for a Uganda safe house for formerly sex trafficked women. And those are tangible. That's like my dollar is being sent, spent and having impact um, far beyond me enjoying coffee and being in this space. Yeah,
0: so cool. So then we partner with the Roosevelt, you know, um, right now financially we write a check every month. Kenny, tell, tell us, tell 514 Church what that does for you. How, you know, how does that help you guys, that type
1: of partnership? Um, Those kind of, so being a nonprofit, anytime we have um, significant donors, and as generous of a donor as 514 is, um, what it allows us to be is more generous. So it allows us to um, maybe not be bogged down by debt or underwriting, you know, it helps underwrite certain expenses that allow us to have greater impact, um, mobilize our effect, really pay attention to what needs to be done out there. Um, So it kind of helps circumvent worrying about how much we're taking in um, and maybe helps us to kind of process through where we can have the most effect the most quickly. Um, And again, it's because the church is generous then allows us to be generous without as much effort.
0: And it's cool because, you know, I'll even say this, I'm not going to maybe... Um, give to Faith Mission, one of the you know the men shelters right next to you guys, or you know the clean water. But I I will go buy a cup of coffee. And so you guys found that that model um, it resonates with with this culture.
1: Yeah, and and I say that a lot too. I mean, a lot. Of, I'm sure you guys have a heart for people should not lack freedom. They shouldn't starve to death. People shouldn't die of preventable waterborne diseases. But where do you give, and how do you know who's doing the work? And so what we what we feel like we've done is we become the liaison between um, you and what can happen. So you can be confident that we've done our research and those things are occurring. And, um, and all you have to do is participate in, you know, the coffee purchase and partnering with us and maybe become an awareness um, people for us too.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Um, You know, the Roosevelt uh, gives to these things and, and real things happen. You guys should go on their website. um, You know, women are being saved out of human trafficking, you know, because of the Roosevelt. Clean water is being provided because of the Roosevelt. Meals are being served because of the Roosevelt. Uh, it's really, really cool, and another kind of, I don't know if you guys planned this when you started it, but it, it's had a really cool kind of community impact, um, and you know, a lot of different people from social backgrounds, uh, and, and viewpoints and even religious thought have come into the, the Roosevelt and it has this really interesting community feel. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a hard one to describe. Royce, <laughs> I'm gonna ask you to come on in here and take this stool while I, I start this, um, kind of conveying this. Um, one thing is, we, you know, there's, I, I tell startup businesses who ca- get counsel for me a lot not to use the word community because it's overused, um, but part of what the Roosevelt has done is um we have strived to make incredible coffee now that might be sound like well of course you did but if you compromise the quality of the product you can't have the impact and so columbus underground reader survey voted us the number one shop in the, in the city in 2016. but some of the things that have birthed out of that is as a result we're recognized for our quality coffee and our loving service but we're 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 a community of bonding people um, we have there's ngos and nonprofits and creatives and business partners who meet in the space strictly because they want their dollar to have impact they want it to be beyond the measure of just sitting down and having a meeting and so even if you check our instagram back in april you'll see about half a dozen video testimony stories that are just customers who came in the shop and are so moved by the experience of what's being done through our work that they they shared how much they love the roosevelt through that
0: that's cool and so royce had a very, uh, you know, profound impact, very real life, true impact because of the Roosevelt in a situation that kind of happened there. Share that. That's really cool. Yeah, this
1: is my friend Royce Ruffin. Um, Royce, uh, I, I wish I feel like I could tell a life change story of what's going on in the Roosevelt every day. There's kind of this thing out there in specialty coffee where says the coffee shop can be a little pretentious. Um, we kind of take that away. Um, we want to engage you. Our core values are love, justice, coffee, optimism, and humility. Um, Royce, um, last year, was a resident of the uh, Faith Mission Men's Shelter, which is right next door to the Roosevelt until just recently. Um, since we opened, we have donated over 2,300 meals to Faith Mission. That's and. Cool. Um, Every day, once Royce got there, he would take $2.50 to come into the shop and buy a large cup of coffee, go sit in the corner with the laptop he had, and he would fill out resumes. And he did that endlessly, every day, every day, to a point where um, we came to love him in the shop. There isn't anybody on my staff who doesn't know him by name and wouldn't wanna engage him. And so, uh, I also want to kind of communicate that um, we've kind of become a place of awareness. So a lot of things happen in the community that are people that are doing work in the same way. And so two of those people are John Rush, who owns Clean Turn, and she has the name Cleaning. And they employ formerly incarcerated people and women who have come out as sex trafficking. The other is Joe DeLoss, and Joe DeLoss is the CEO and founder of Hot Chicken Takeover. Um, He's the prettiest man in Columbus, and he's one heck of an entrepreneur, and Joe hires the formerly undeployable also. 70% of his workforce um, come out of a position where they probably, you would not employ them. Um, So all that to be said, Joe and John decided to have a conference at the Roosevelt in the backspace on passion, purpose, and profit to kind of show how people in those positions and the unemployable could become employable. During that, Royce was able to engage Joe at Hot Chicken and um, kind of touch base and get to know him. And out of that conversation, fill out an application, Hot Chicken hired him. Uh, Royce just celebrated a year at Hot Chicken Um, back when we were meeting this week he drove up in his brand new car so there's a lot of things (laughs) going on for me in my heart that just like are exploding right now um but i want but so so you might say well what does that have to do with 514 gives let me tell you how that works is if the roosevelt didn't exist then royce doesn't enter into our space right he's getting fed by the money that we give to faith Mm -hmm. mission so he's getting fed and then he comes to the roosevelt Roosevelt doesn't get exist, he doesn't get loved unconditionally in a way he probably never would in any other business. If we didn't house people that were doing work in the areas of poverty, John and Joe never do the conference in our space, John and Joe do the conference in our space, and Royce meets Joe. And then Joe engages a conversation with him, and now Royce is a loved and valued member of Hot Chicken. And so, awesome. all of that to say, if we don't, yeah. yeah. It's amazing. so it's full circle it, it, it takes a lot of moving parts to get to that place of life change but that's what we're trying to drive and so royce i just wanted to give you the platform for a minute or two to kind of share the way you see that story
2: well as a uh, recently incarcerated returning citizen uh, unemployment unemployment is a major deal i was pretty much forced to go Thank uh-huh. you.
0: That's awesome. Uh, Royce, it is an honor to be a very small part of your story. And Kenny, same with you. Um, How cool is this, you guys? We partner and then uh, stories like this happen and will happen over and over and over again because of how 514 Church and others are supporting this amazing place. So um, man, thank you guys so much. Thank you so much. Give them a round of applause. It's so cool to see that uh, we have another amazing organization we partner with called Crew. Uh, Crew is passionate about connecting people to the person of Jesus Christ, specifically and especially college-age students. They go onto those campuses and um, they try to invade their space and uh, you know present th- to them the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, check out this video to hear a little bit more about Crew.
3: spent on a college campus really influence how people will spend the next 60 years of their life or more. And that couldn't be truer than here on the campuses in Central Ohio.
0: It's in college that students develop their passions and skills that help decide their careers, where they'll live, who they will spend their life with, and more.
3: There are so many voices competing for our attention, our hearts, and our minds in college, all promising fulfillment.
0: In the midst of these pressures, God is moving in central Ohio.
3: And the lives of college students are being changed forever.
4: Since I've come to college, just in ways I never really expected. These past like five months or so, like coming to OCF, like my I just feel so much stronger, so much closer to Christ, and it's just really changed my life in ways I never really expected.
0: It's a community that will like seek out relationships with you and authentically like want to love you well. I feel really loved and encouraged by the people that I've met through Crew. I found such an amazing community of friends that I didn't even have six months ago, um, and now they're a part of my daily life,
3: encouraging my faith every day. The more I came, the more I started to see like something different. Like this is so different. And I was like, this is so different from all my other friend groups in the past. My heart started to change. I started to read the Word and started to get involved with Jesus and started to build that relationship.
0: One of the highlights that I really enjoy about Crew is the discipleship. It's just a really fun time to get encouragement as as well as grow in my faith and my spiritual walk with the Lord. One of the highlights for me while being a part of Crew in college has
3: been going to retreats and conferences with close friends. I'm very grateful for all the opportunities such as uh, PCB or NDCC as well as our spring and fall retreats.
0: Crew just does a really great job of training and teaching college students to be a lot more influential than they think that they can be. I've been given a lot of tools on how to share my faith and there's so many opportunities um, within Crew
3: that my life would not be the same without. Without Crew, uh, our campus is really dark there's not other people going and sharing Christ with people Um, and in my own life I think I would have just kind of gone through the motions the rest of my college career.
2: Through the people who have like loved me and invested in me I have really like finally gotten a hold of the grace and love that God has for me and now I just like I have to share that with everyone.
3: I've actually developed a, a love for the world, and I can't wait to use that in the future. I want to spread the good news uh, and love of Jesus with my co workers. I couldn't be more thankful for Crew and what um, that organization has done for me.
0: Crew has helped me grow into the person that I am, establish my identity in Christ, and just like create amazing memories with amazing friendships that wouldn't have happened otherwise. It's inspired me to change how I view the rest of my life, what my career looks like, what my like life outside of work looks like and just I am committed to serving God with every facet of my life because of what I've learned in Crew.
3: If I didn't meet Crew like I'd be out doing whatever I want to do you know and now I'm getting involved with what God wants me to do and so that's why I'm so thankful that I've been involved with Crew because I'm doing what God wants me to do.
0: It's an amazing partner. We uh, support a couple who is 514 Church. They attend here. Uh, They serve on our welcome team in a huge capacity. They also lead a young marriage group. They're Travis and Christy L. You'll see this picture. They just had uh, a sweet baby girl, Kennedy, who's just one month old. And Crew is on 2,000 campuses across the country, has a huge presence in um, central Ohio, in the Columbus area, and all the schools. And so Travis and Christy, um, they're local missionaries, you guys. They have uh, dedicated their lives really to being on the Crew staff and going to campuses and telling college kids. Uh, about the person of Jesus Christ, sharing the gospel with them, creating community where these kids have this place to grow in their relationship with, with God and with others. And so, it's so cool. We partner with the L's and they are you know right there on the front lines with crew, um, reaching college students in ways that we can't. And it's, it's so cool to see what God is doing uh, through them and through that awesome partnership. Uh, The final existing partner that I wanna share with you guys today is Stowe Mission. Stowe is located on the south side of Columbus um, in a very kind of dark area. Uh, It is a hub for that community. Um, And what it does is absolutely amazing. Stowe just last year in 2016 served over 103,000 meals to people, uh, they, they saw a thousand patients, they have a dental, a health, a vision clinic right there. Um, they support so many people in so many ways and they meet people right where they're at in their darkest moments in real hardship and help them see a better future. Check out this video to hear a little bit more.
2: So helps heal the needs of the inner city physically, emotionally, spiritually, all in Jesus' name. So that means a whole lot of different things and it seems like more things all the time but but the focus is Christ as in Matthew 28 making disciples but also Matthew 25. Uh, Jesus says I was hungry you fed me, I was thirsty you gave me a drink. He said when did we do that and he said when you've done it unto the least of these my brethren you've done it unto me. Stow Mission is an amazing place. We run on about 750 to 800 volunteers a month. It's important to, to work and meet the physical needs of, of people in the community, but it's also important to meet their emotional and their spiritual needs. And so what really gets me excited about Stowe Mission is to see the changes that happen in people's lives. There are a lot of organizations or people that I run across that have great ideas about what could happen or what might happen or what should happen, but here it's already happened. started in 1982, so for 34 years it's been happening here where people's lives are literally changed. So by investing in here you invest in people and processes and systems and the gospel that reaches people and sees their lives change and ultimately the culture around us. Uh, we've had people that have lived uh, down by the river in a tent for over five years and they would walk up from the river and and get a hot lunch at Stowe Mission each day. Uh, Donations are used in all kinds of ways here to to maintain the facility and and allow us to minister in the way that we're able to do. So that's why I invest in Stowe and why it would be an eternal investment for anybody.
4: Hey guys, so obviously Stowe Mission is doing some really cool stuff down there. They have a really special thing going on in the south side of Columbus. as Rich, you saw Rich Halcomb. he's their CEO, and he was giving a little bit of the vision behind what they do. Um, and what they say their mission is is to provide gospel hope and restoration to people who need it. And so over the course of their existence, they've built this amazing infrastructure to provide meals and food, uh, to provide dental care, medical care, pregnancy resources. They have a summer reading program for kids. They have youth groups. They have two churches that meet in their in their space. And so they have really live that mission out and they are helping this community materially in every way that they possibly can. And, and along with being an awesome partner that we are blessed to be a part of their ministry, um, they also give us a chance f- to participate. And so uh, they're, they're one of our partners and they have some really cool opportunities. As a staff, we go down to the kitchen uh, every other month and we serve. We've had some small groups go down to the summer block parties that they have down there, and they've run some of the stations and volunteered. And we have some people at this church who are part of the, the tutoring program over the summer, and they help with this summer reading initiative that they've implemented. And so, um, you know, we, we've, uh, we've been, been really, really fortunate to be a part of this awesome ministry and the way that they're touching that community down there. Um, let me introduce myself real quick. My name is John McCambridge. For those of you who don't know me, uh, I'm the director of operations here. And one of my responsibilities... Um, as a director of operations, is to uh, oversee the 514 Serves ministry. And so um, when I got a chance to do this, like I was really excited today. I'm so excited to be able to share with you some of the vision and the mission of what we want 514 Serves to be, why we think it's important, why we're passionate about it, and then most importantly, as Carmen has been doing, to highlight and inform you and celebrate these awesome partnerships that we've started to gain. And so, when I got a chance to come work for 514, th- this was like really, really close to my heart. This was really close to my heart. If you don't know my story, um, I grew up outside of the church. And so, I came to faith somewhat late in life. And uh, when I was a, a, a freshman in high school, I started to wrestle with this question of who is Jesus? Like, do I believe that Jesus is who he says he is? Do I believe that? And I wrestled with it. And I use that term because that's what I did. I mean, I wrestled with this, I struggled. To answer that question, all the way through high school, I had doubt, belief, disbelief, unbelief, all through high school, almost all the way through college, and when I was a junior in college, I came to the realization or the conclusion, and I believe that God moved in my life, and I decided that the answer to that question was yes, and yes, I believe that Jesus is who he says he is, and that means that I want to follow him. And that means I want to give my life to him and enter into a relationship with him. And for those of you in the room who have ever entered into a relationship with God, you know exactly what I'm talking about. That is an overwhelmingly emotional experience. To enter into a relationship with God is overwhelmingly emotional because the truth of what you're saying you believe is so beautiful. Because what you're saying is that you're broken and you're dead in your brokenness. And there's nothing that you can ever do to bridge that gap to a perfect God, and you're eternally separated, but God desired a relationship with us so much that he became flesh and blood, he came to earth, and he died in order to bridge that gap, and now we get to have a relationship with him. And that idea of grace, or a gift undeserved, is so beautiful, and it's so flowery, and it's so sweet when you talk about it that it overwhelms you. And I felt the full extent of that. I felt all of that when I entered into a relationship with God. But there was something that was simmering underneath all of that lovely, beautiful language. There was something that was there, and I couldn't really define what it was. And even now, the only word that I can really use to accurately describe it is gritty. There was something gritty that was underneath all this flowery, beautiful language. There was something gritty about this gospel that I said that I believed. And so as I started to look into and study and dive into my relationship with Jesus... I started to look at his ministry when he was here on earth and then the apostles and the early church and the way that they functioned. And I started to understand what that grittiness was that I was feeling. And what it is, is it's the truth that when you enter into a relationship with God, you are no longer your own. And so you give your life to God and then you don't belong to you anymore. And in this world, that's a huge deal. That's a big idea for us to wrestle with. Right? Because you're a Christian, and Christian means little Christ. And we are to emulate him. We are to live like him. We are to love like him. We're to have relationships like him. And our command is very, very simple. The command that we have now as Jesus followers is to love God and love others. That's it. Love God, love others. Love God, love others as yourself. And that's it. And it's very, very simple. And philosophically, it isn't hard to understand, and it's really not difficult. Intellectually, to apply it to most situations, but in practice, it's overwhelmingly demanding and exceedingly difficult to actually live. Right? I mean, it's probably the most demanding philosophical worldview that exists because the foundation of it is that you die to yourself and you lay your life down for other people, and that's really, really hard. And so this grabbed a hold of me when I was in college, and it like, it grabbed me tight, and I said. I'm going to go live this. I'm going to go live this gospel. I'm going to go live this grittiness, and I'm going to leave Xavier when I graduate, and I'm going to go out into the world and embody this, literally and vocationally. I'm going to go live this gritty gospel. And I was young, and I was brash, and I knew what I knew, and I would tell people, And I would say, you know, maybe you don't really believe like I believe. I mean, if you're not going to go out there and do what I'm going to do and go be a missionary in Africa, build schools in Guatemala, and give up all of this earthly comfort and pleasures, then maybe you don't really believe like I believe. Who says that? I mean, that's like such a horrible thing to say to somebody. But I would say it because I was sure of myself. I knew it. I was right. And it was written on my heart. And so I left Xavier. I graduated. And I went out to accomplish this mission, and I went to probably the one organization that you would all think of immediately that would come to the forefront of your mind when you think of this gritty, die-to-yourself mentality that I believed in. I went and I spent five years at Abercrombie & Fitch in international real estate and business. What? That's gritty. I'm teasing, I'm teasing. That is actually true, but I want to be overly clear Don't send emails, I'm kidding. There's nothing wrong with working for Abercrombie & Fitch. I don't regret one minute that I was there. My wife works for Victoria's Secret. I don't have a problem with corporate America. I actually happen to believe that very, very few people are called to vocational ministry, and so I'm teasing. Um, I'm making fun of myself. I actually have some friends from college that are here right now, and if you knew me when I was in college, you'd probably think it was funnier. Anyways. (laughs) So when I came here last year, I had a chance to work on 514 Serves. And I really was excited about it because although I was joking right there, all of the truths that I just mentioned about what it means to follow Jesus, that's all true. And that truth is absolute. Now, the way that it manifests itself in our life is nuanced. And so there's the marketplace and there's ministry and some people are called here and some people are called there. But the reality is, and the demanding part, is that all of those things about dying to yourself and laying your life down and living for other people, you are to do that wherever you are. And that's demanding. And for me, as a local church, this 514 serves ministry. This portion of, of the church should be the embodiment of that truth. And so we started to work on what we wanted that to look like and how to craft that. And as Carmen uh, summarized beautifully earlier, we believe that there's two parts, right? There's participation, which is me and you going out into the world and serving people physically. Serving people, loving people, seeing a need and going after it, boots on the ground, front lines. And this is imperative. I mean, this is our responsibility as Christ followers, individually and as a church. And so this is what you think of when you think of a serves ministry and service and all of that, you think of participation. But the second part, which is really what we're studying today, which is what we're informing you of today, is a little bit more nuanced, and that's partnership. And partnership, I've become somewhat fascinated by because when I came here and I was passionate about service, That isn't exactly what I thought of. That's not what was in the front of my mind when I thought of a ministry that would go out and help people. And I became really, really interested in it for a couple reasons. The first reason is because partnership makes sense. I mean, as Carmen said, there's an unlimited amount of need in this world, an unlimited amount of brokenness, an unlimited amount of people who need hope and who need the gospel. And so we can't help everyone, but we can help someone And there are ministries out there that we've highlighted today who are specialized in their areas and in their ways of serving people and helping people and bringing them hope. And that's partnership. And so you start to understand how a network of partners like this starts to make a huge impact. And the fact that your generosity goes to their ministries is in a way boots on the ground because they're out there in their specialty doing what they do. And so, you know, the idea is that we create this Robust system of partners and ministries that reach people in places we aren't and in ways we can. And so we wanted to, to, to go out and create this, but then as I started to look at it, the actual fascinating thing about partnership in this aspect is that that's the reason that we're all here today. Like you're sitting in a church listening to someone talk about Jesus because of partnership, because the early church grew and it multiplied and it expanded against all odds and all opposition with this exact strategy of partnership and multiplication. And if you've never read the, the, uh, the history of the early church, I just go do it. Even if you're in the room and you don't believe what we believe and you think, this God stuff is crazy as historical interest. Go read what happened in the early church. It is absolutely fascinating because that thing should have never happened. That movement should have never happened. It was impossible. But it did. And so, just to, to give a quick synopsis of what happened in, in that time in history, there was a guy named Jesus who was alive. And he walked around and he said that he was the Messiah, that he was the Savior. And people started to believe him. And he gained this following. And it wasn't just the 12 disciples. There was a lot of people who listened to him and saw him and believed that he was who he said he was. And so they started to follow him. And then he was arrested and he died and there were no Jesus followers anymore. He was nailed to a cross and he breathed his last breath and they stuck a spear in his side. And there were no Jesus followers. There were no Christians. There was no movement. Because saviors don't die and messiahs aren't killed. And so it was just another movement that died in the planning stages and that happens all the time. And then he rose from the dead and he ate breakfast on the beach with his best friends and appeared to hundreds and hundreds of people and this crazy thing got kick-started. And that's how it got kick-started, but then how did it sustain itself against all of that social opposition, against all of that political opposition, How did it sustain itself? How did it become self-sustaining? And there's a couple themes that start to pop out to you when you see it. And one of them is this idea of solidarity. There was this idea in the early church of radical solidarity and they knew that what they were doing was important and they knew what they were doing was bigger than themselves. And so as an example, somebody like Paul, Paul was an early leader of the church and he was tasked with taking this truth about Jesus and taking it to the non-Jews. This was a Jewish movement, Jesus was Jewish, it started in that community, and Paul was really in charge of taking that and taking it to the non-Jews, to the Gentiles. And so Paul would go around Europe and Asia, and he would preach, and he would tell people, and he would be in ministry and in community, and he would teach about this truth about Jesus. And people would start to follow. And so these communities would start to pop up of Jesus followers in Europe and in Asia and then Paul would leave and go do the same thing somewhere else and those people wouldn't go with Paul to be missionaries. Those people were in that community sustaining what they had but they would support him financially and and emotionally and prayerfully as he went to complete his mission to reach people in places that that specific church wasn't and in ways that they couldn't. And so... It's this—it's uh, this cool idea of multiplication and partnership that you saw in the early church, and that's how this thing kicked off. And so, just to prove that I'm not making all this up, I'll show you. There's a passage in the letter of Philippians. Now, Philippians is a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, and Paul wrote it while he was in prison. And so, uh, in about 50 A.D., Paul went to Philippi, and he preached, and there was a, a group of people who started to believe, and there was a church there that started to grow. And then Paul left and went and did the same thing elsewhere. And then about 10 years later, in 60 AD, he was, he was arrested. And he wrote a letter to them from jail because someone from their church had come to him and given him a gift. And that gift, whatever it was, it was a financial gift, whatever it was, it was so beautiful to him in his time of need that he wrote this thank you letter that ended up as a book in the Bible that we believe is inspired by God thanking this church for their generosity and for their partnership in what he was doing. And so let's see what he says in Philippians 4, 12 through 17. He says, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So Paul, if you study Paul, he he like is the master of the humble brag and he throws his stuff in. I'm teasing. Look what he says. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. It was good of you to partner with me. Thank you. And Paul was an amazing writer. Like he was beautiful with the pen. And so he puts this awesome juxtaposition of two ideas next to each other to raise up this importance of partnership. At the beginning, he says, I don't need anything. I don't need anything, I have God. I don't need anything, but I needed you and thank you. Thank you for your gift. And so he takes this idea of partnership and he rises it up almost right next to the idea that he doesn't need anything because he has God. And that is, is the way in which his partnership with the Philippian church moved him and the way that he thought about it in his gratitude. And so he goes into more detail. Moreover, as you Philippians know in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, which is where Philippi was, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts, what I desire is that more be credited to your account. So he goes on and continues to thank them and there are these two ideas and these two words that are highlighted that I just wanna share some cool facts with you guys. This this, this word shared. This is the Greek word koinonia, and koinoneia actually means to give or contribute a share, to become a shareholder. And so Paul's ministry at this point had produced all kinds of fruit. I mean, there were churches all over the Gentile world because of Paul's missions and because of his ministry and what he was doing, and there were these communities of believers. And what he's saying is that you guys, you Philippians, are shareholders, your shareholders and what in what I just did and what I'm doing and what my mission is. You sharing in that. You are shareholders. And then this other word, and this is actually the coolest part of the whole, the whole passage, Philippians. He calls them by name. And Paul doesn't really do that very often. Only a couple times in his writings does he call the church by name. And so Paul received something when he was in prison from this church, and he looked back on his ministry history and the gifts and the generosity that he had received from this church in the past. And it moved him so much that he writes them a thank you letter that ends up in the Bible and he calls them by name. Not the church, not the believers, not everyone who supported me, you Philippians. And this was like inspiring to me when I read this and and we talk about partnership because like, I want this to be 514 church. I want these other ministries that, we, that we've highlighted that are doing amazing work to call us by name. I want to be so generous and so passionate and so consistent in our support for these other ministries who are out there doing amazing work that they call us by name, that we are to Roosevelt and we are to Travis and Christiel and we are to Stowe Mission, what the Philippian church was to Paul. So important and so vital And so generous and selfless in the way that we give and support that they call us by name. And I hope that you guys want that too. Like I hope when you give to this church, you understand the gravity of that. Because this idea of partnership, really what it is and what it was in the early church was this idea and this embodiment that this whole thing is bigger than me and it's bigger than you and it's bigger than us. And I want this church to really, really live that out and understand that this thing, this movement, this idea of the gospel and the truth of Jesus is so much bigger than 514 church and it's so much bigger than New Albany and this community. And so we have these partners who are out there doing this, right? Roosevelt Coffee in Columbus, Travis and Christiel in Otterbein's campus and Stowe Mission on the south side of Columbus and they're truly living out this call. And our support hopefully starts to shape this idea that we believe in the way that we give, in the way that we partner, that this thing is so much bigger than 514 Church. And so we've been working on this 514 Serves project and how to grow it and how to develop it and what's next. And we want to be more generous and we want to be called by name and we want to to impact more people and more ministries who are out there in places we aren't. And so how do we do that? And, and one of the things that we kept coming back to is we need to add another partner. We need to add another partner that affects something somewhere else, somewhere else where we aren't. And so we've been talking, and there's this one, there this one uh, uh, organization called Project 117. And Project 117 is an organization based out of Michigan, and they built a school in Haiti for kids who, who would otherwise be left behind educationally and would have no chance of getting an education. And the backstory on this is actually pretty cool. It's, uh, there's this guy, named name's Curtis Stout, and he founded the company. And he went down in 2010 on a nine-month mission trip. And he was gonna teach English and coach soccer. And he went down in 2010, and 11 days after he arrived, the earthquake hit. The, the big earthquake, the one that we all remember, and it ravaged that country, and it destroyed lives. And he watched it happen and he watched people there try to pick up the pieces, and he watched these kids that he was down there coaching and teaching try to pick up the pieces. And so he was moved. And what he noticed started to happen was these kids started to go back to school when the schools reopened, and some of them couldn't go back right away because their lives were just crumbled and they were trying to pick up the pieces, and they they would try to go back, and some of them were getting rejected and they couldn't go back to school. And so this kid, his name's Blandy, he was a 14-year-old at the time, and he asked Curtis to go with him. "Come, Come with me to enroll me in school. I want to go back. So Curtis went with him, and in order to get in, he had to take a French literacy test and a proficiency test. And he didn't pass. And so Curtis is thinking, okay, like, what are the next steps? What's next? And the principal came out and said that there are no next steps. You can't go to school here. you're too far behind, there's no hope. You're too far behind, there's no hope for you here. And like that, Blandy doesn't get to get an education anymore, left behind. And so Curtis was like shocked by this and shook by this. And what he started to understand was that, um, you know, 23% of kids in Haiti, this, this happens to them. And it isn't just because of a catastrophe, like an earthquake, because of the socioeconomic situation in that country, things happen to kids that take them out of school. And then when they go back, they can't get back in because they don't pass these tests. And Curtis got a heart for that. And he was moved by that, and so we started this organization called Project 117. And um, they built a school down there, and they built it in 2013, and they started with, with first grade. And then every year they've added a grade and backfilled the grade below. So right now they have first through fourth grade, and they're serving over 130 kids in this one school. And so we saw, like, we're we're watching what Curtis and Project 117 is doing, and this idea that they see a need, and they just wanna go help, and give these kids an education, and teach these kids about Jesus. And it, like, moved us. I mean, it really did. It really moved us as a church, staff, because, I mean, I mean that's like so tangible what they're doing with that one school, 130 kids. And so we had some talks with them, some final conversations, and so I'm like over excited to announce that Project 117 is our newest 514 Serves partner, and 514 Church will be working with Project 117 down in Haiti. And this impact that's happening, these kids who are getting an education, these kids who would be left behind and are no longer left behind, we get to be a partner in that now. We get to see that fruit. We get to help them. We get to partner with Project 117. And not only do we get to partner with them and help move their ministry forward and the great things that they are doing for these kids down there, but we actually will get to participate in this. And so in probably a year or a year and a half, 514 Church will take its first international mission and take people from New Albany, Ohio, and go down to Haiti and serve these kids and love these kids and help move this ministry forward. And so with this addition, like, to me, this is a monumental day for 514 Church. And there's this idea that in in the book of John he says, for God so loved the world, for God so loved the world. And so there's need in in Columbus, right? There's need in Columbus, there's need in Ohio. But as we said, like we want this church and our serves ministry specifically to embody this idea that this thing is way bigger than us. And this idea that God so loved the world and therefore we should be in the world will be embodied in the fact that we now, not only serve Ohio, but we serve internationally, and we are putting boots on the ground internationally, and we are starting to more and more embody this idea that this thing is bigger than us, that this movement is bigger than us, and that the way that we love the world is bigger than New Albany. And so I hope that today, being informed of these partnerships, understanding what we're already doing, the excitement of adding a new partner in a new country outside of the US. I hope that this like, moves us. I hope that you're moved by this. I hope that this impacts you. I hope that you feel this idea that this whole thing is bigger than us and we get it and you get it and when you give, you're giving to all of these other ministries who are out there impacting the world. And reaching people in places we aren't and in ways we can't. Thank you guys for being here today. Thank you for listening to this. Um, Come back and and meet us afterwards. We're we're in the back, back there. If you're new and you haven't met the staff, come meet us. We stand back there, and if if you don't come back, our feelings really get hurt. (laughs) And so we're pretty sensitive. So come back and meet us. Um, We'll see you guys tonight at Expressing. Let me close this in prayer, and then we can go, okay? Uh, Lord, thank you for, for bringing us here today. Thank you for this community. Thank you for this church. Thank you for giving us an opportunity and a blessing to partake in these other ministries who are out there doing amazing work. I pray that our generosity to them propels their ministries forward and allows them to impact more and more and more people for you because we love people. And I pray that, I pray that this 514 Serves project and this ministry starts to move this community in a way that we understand that this thing is so big and that we're all a part of something that's really big, way bigger than this community. And Lord, I just pray that that you let this all sink in And you let something like the Serves Ministry be something that gets us excited to go out into the world and to impact people. And to show your love to people. And to serve people because that's what you want us to do. Because we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks guys.